A true story. A few weeks ago, uh, just at the end of June, Nietzsche and I were down right in the centre of London uh, where I was speaking at a wedding. The wedding of uh, one of our members called Kerry, who works with international students there, is getting married to a guy from Northern Ireland we know from, uh, called Peter. And it was a wonderful occasion right in the heart. If you know All Souls, it's a church right in the heart of London. It's the BBC church. They record things there. And it was quite a privilege to be able to go along and, uh, and to speak at this. Uh, one of the senior staff in the church, and they've got a lot of people, about 30 people work for them uh, 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 on their staff. Uh, he's a canon. I, th- I think a canon in the Church of England is a big shot. Sorry, it's an old joke. But, um, and uh, the canon and his wife kindly agreed, uh, arranged for us to stay in their flat, which was, ju- if you know London, just around the corner from Harley Street. Uh, unfortunately, we learned, they were away until Saturday evening, uh, the evening of the day of the wedding. Uh, but they left us a key and we went to this nice little flat and there was a note there saying, sorry we're not here to greet you, just make yourselves at home and we hope you have a great time. We'll see you when we get back later this evening. Uh, this was Friday, Saturday evening. So we stayed there Friday night and uh, went to the wedding on Saturday and for those who know the couple, if you want to see a couple of pictures of them, there they are on the screen and ourselves with them. Um, After the wedding was over, we went back to the reception, which was about half a mile away, and we passed by the flat where we'd been staying, and Nita said, I need to call in the flat for something. So we called in the flat, and as we went in the door, Nita said, I've got something really bad to tell you. Which wisely she hadn't told me before I spoke at this wedding, as I've been completely thrown by it when you hear what it was. We went downstairs and it was one of these flats in London with the living room on the, on the sort of ground level and two bedrooms down below. And we were in one and the next one was the bedroom of the canon and his wife. And Nietzsche explained that that morning uh, she had got up and looked for an ironing board to press my shirt and my suit for the wedding. And she, it's a very narrow corridor and she opened the door to their bedroom and there's a big space you just imagine this. I haven't got pictures or reconstructions, okay? But uh, there was a space between the door and the bed where she put the ironing board up and pressed my suit very nicely and hung it up. But then as she folded it away, she saw to her horror on the new light-coloured carpet a perfect scorch mark where she must have placed the iron and she said, I don't know what to do. What can we do? And I said, I sort of scrabbled around and thought, you just couldn't move it. You know, it's those carpets where they go all sticky and, you know what I mean? Well, I must admit, we went off to the reception. It kind of took the edge off the Kaylee and the <laughs> celebrations. And uh, we sat there that evening just dreading the moments. Needless, it's like going back to school, isn't it? You've got to see the headmaster. We'd never met this couple, Canon, in the Church of England. So we sort of hung around the Cayley about 10 o'clock. We thought, we've just got to go back and face the music. We got back at 10 o'clock, opened the door, and they still hadn't come home. So we sat there till 11 o'clock. And eventually I said, look, we've just got to go to bed. They, who knows when they're going to come? So we wrote a very apologetic note saying what had happened, what we had done, apologizing, saying, we'll buy you a new carpet. Goodness knows it would have cost, but anyway. And we went to bed. Well, it wasn't our best night's sleep ever, I must admit. And I woke up at 7 o'clock with no sign of anyone around. So Nita said, can you make me a cup of tea and put the, 
piece of toast for breakfast. So I went upstairs, switched on the kettle, put a piece of bread in the toaster. But unfortunately, this story gets worse. (laughs) Unfortunately, the the bread got jammed in the toaster. And it started to smoke. And the smoke alarm went off. I thought, the only way to do this is to open the kitchen window, let some fresh air in. I was climbing on the furniture trying to open the window, and the window was jammed, and I couldn't get the window open. And then I heard somebody behind me, and there in a dressing gown, having emerged from her bedroom, was the canon's wife, <laughs> who swiftly assessed the situation, went across, opened the window, and the smoke alarm went off, and I said, thank you so much, I'm pleased to meet you, I'm <laughs> Peter Granger. And I said, I'm so sorry about the carpet. And as I began to explain, she stopped me. And I can almost remember the words of Avakian. She said, I nearly knocked on your door and woke you up. But we went back till after midnight to tell you. You didn't scorch the carpet. We did it three weeks ago and we're so embarrassed. What do you think I felt when she said that? I just rushed in the room, in the bedroom. Tanita, I said, wake up. I said, you didn't do it. (laughs) And her face lit up. She was so happy. It was just that enormous relief and happiness. It was one of the best breakfasts I've ever had in my life. I said, have a breakfast with us. And it was just lovely meeting these nice people. Now, wonderful though that was, there is something far more important and amazing. And that is, when faced what we have done, to hear God say that we are forgiven. So I just want to speak briefly from this psalm about the joy of forgiveness, because that's what it's about. This Hebrew hymn was written by a man called David, who was a shepherd boy. Then he became the king of Israel, one of the greatest kings of the nation ever, and he describes in personal experience what it's like to be forgiven by God. So let me just focus on these two verses. And I shan't be long. Well, those who worship here regularly, as long as I normally am. Okay, just the words will come on the screen. Let me read them again. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, the word blessed there is not the kind of word that we use very often in English these days, do we? In fact, I think the only colloquial use of bless is when someone sneezes and you say, bless you. Which is actually a contraction of what it was originally. Originally you said, God bless you. That is, may God favour you and protect you from all harm, so that the cold doesn't turn into pneumonia and you die or something like that. But the word God is omitted. As in the word also, goodbye, which is short for God be with ye. Old English. Missing God out of expressions is symptomatic of something far more serious. Missing God out of our lives. And our much larger problem, that that relationship with God for which we were made and designed has been broken and we are responsible. And that's our serious situation So serious and far-reaching that if you just look briefly with me at this psalm again and those verses, 
the psalm actually uses four words, different words, to describe what we have done wrong in relation to God. What he says, blessed is he is transgressions are forgiven. Uh, the first word is transgressions. To transgress means to pass over a boundary, to go beyond what is prohibited. On our way to our recent holiday, we visited our family en route in Derbyshire. And instead of going down the A1 to England, we went cross-country through Coldstream. And if you've ever been on that route, you will pass through a beautiful village called Longframlington, through which I drove at 36 miles an hour. And I know this because... <laughs> on our return from holiday, I had a letter from the Northumbria police informing me of the fact and telling me I would be prosecuted. This is embarrassing and annoying as I use this illustration of my previous speeding offence. <laughs> my only other one in 35 years, which has just been removed after three years. But you see, I was guilty. I missed the 30 miles per hour sign and I even missed the speed camera as well. Another word for transgress is, and again an old sort of word, is trespass. You know the sign, trespassers will be prosecuted. Uh, this terrible outbreak of foot and mouth again. We've seen the signs going up around parts of Surrey. To trespass, to enter a forbidden area with enormous damage that can be caused. Now, serious though that is, to transgress against God's warning signs written in our consciences, warped and anesthetized though they may be, has far more serious consequences because we transgress, we go beyond what God says we should do. And we run up far more than three points. Multiple offences seen and recorded by God. And that's not all. There's a second word. It's another Hebrew word. It's translated in this version as sins. Blessed is he whose sins are forgiven. If, if transgressions refers to what we have done, then sins refers to what we have failed to do. In the old words of the prayer book, if you ever grew up in the Church of England... Uh, you say in the general confession, we have left undone those things which we ought to have done. We've done what we ought not to have done. See, the order is significant because so often we think, well, I'm okay, I've not done anything too bad. Jesus once was stopped by somebody and asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And how many of us have lived up to those expectations. We fail to live up to the standards we set for ourselves. We constantly fall short. But to fall short of God's standard is far more serious. None of us has reached the mark. None of us has hit the bullseye. All of us have fallen short. So we go beyond what is prohibited and we fall short of what is expected. And that's not all. There's a third word. This one's translated somewhat confusingly by this version as blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count. The word sin means to turn aside to be twisted. And now we're not just dealing with actions, what we do or fail to do, but with nature, what we do habitually. The old word for this, it's a very old English word, is the word iniquity. This same David who wrote this psalm also wrote another psalm when he was caught out committing adultery and murder. And he prayed to God a prayer again, confession, and he said, I was, in the old version he says, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. And then he says to God, God, you desire truth in the inward parts. In other words, 
You don't become a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Like the bowl on the bowling green, the crown green bowling. There's a bias. If you just roll it straight, it will never go straight. It turns off because there's a bias within it. There's a bias within us to do what is wrong or perverse. So we break God's law. We fall short of God's standards. We turn aside from God's way. But few of us, if we're honest, are willing to admit to this. And so there's a fourth word there, which is the word deceit. Deceit means to cover up a lack of sincerity, a lack of integrity. What you see is not what you get. Instead, we wear masks like the actors in the old Greek dramas. There was a word, there's a Greek word for actors in Greek dramas who wore masks. It's the word hypocrites, from which we get hypocrites. It's said that if you approach almost anyone quietly and whisper in their ear, your secret's up. Most people will jump in surprise and fear because most of us have secrets that we don't want other people to know about. Now you may think, goodness me, this is a bit depressing. I thought this was a festival praise event. But you see, unless you understand the seriousness of the problem, you'll never really appreciate the wonder of the forgiveness that follows. So look at God's radical remedy. The exhilarating experience of knowing God's forgiveness. You see, as the offended party, only God can forgive. Look again at the verses and I'll make explicit what, what, what is implicit. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven by the Lord, whose sins are covered by the Lord. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whom spirit there is no deceit. The, the word blessed there twice is actually plural. It's like blessedness. Oh, it's not a word of that. but It's about the comprehensive nature of God's forgiveness. And, and look again as each of the four problems is addressed. He says blessed is the person, the man, the woman, whose transgressions are forgiven. Now, the word translated forgive, this is kind of a Hebrew lesson, but just stay with me, all right? Uh, the word forgive means to lift or remove, to carry away. If you belong to this church, you'll know that a few months ago, we moved house uh, to the outskirts of Edinburgh, to the beautiful little village of Newton Grange. 20 miles per hour speed limit in our road. And it's a lovely place. We have a fantastic view of the Pentland Hills. It's the home of the Scottish Mining Museum. There's easy access to the shops. You can see the library, the health centre. You can see the leisure centre, a swimming pool. It's wonderful. But when I got there, I discovered that there is a bonus that nobody had mentioned in any of the brochures. Literally, just outside the village, literally a two-minute drive from our house, there's the council waste disposal site. It's just a wonderful place. And you know, when you move, you've got all this clubber. And of course, we recycled everything that we could recycle. But you're still left with a load of rubbish that nobody wants. And it's just wonderful. You pile it all in your car. And you don't have to go miles away. I just drove straight through the village and went up to this big, great big skip. You know, whenever I do this, you must have done it, the men probably. Uh, well, maybe the women as well. I'm being sexist here. But you must have done it. Do you not feel when you go, you think there's some guy there going to say, hang on a minute, you can't bring that in here. They never do. Like my experience. See, whatever it is, you just take it and you just dump it in the thing. And you carry it away and it's gone. It's really therapeutic. It's just wonderful. <coughs> you, you drive home in your car and it's empty. It's just, just wonderful. Now he says, how elated, how happy, how blessed is the person who, unable to carry away the weight of his own transgressions, all the bad things we've done that we're ashamed of. Discovers that God removes them and carries them away. Uh, another psalm using a different Hebrew word. 
uses the same idea. It says, God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And that's not all. There's a second reason. He says, blessed is the person whose sins are covered. The word covered means to conceal something from sight. Now, the idea is not to cover it up so you can uncover it later because it's still there. The idea is to cover something up so that it is never seen again. An Old Testament prophet called Micah talked about God casting our sin into the depths of the sea. Probably putting a sign up saying, no fishing. Other people suggest it's the word used of an ancient writing system where they used to write on wax tablets with a stylus and then you'd write on top of it and cover up what was written before. And what the psalmist is saying, how happy is the person for whom God carries his sins away and he covers them up and you never see them again. And God never brings them up again. Uh, The third word, he says, blessed is the person whose sin the Lord does not count against him. The word not count is a word from accountancy. To reckon against, to cancel a debt. It means the debt is not counted, accounted to you. When I got this letter from the Northumbria police, which is very annoying, you know, it's got this thing on that says, you know, were you the driver of this car? And you think, can I do a deal with my wife? No, I'm earnest to forget it. But, um, so I wrote back and said, yes, I was the person. And they wrote back to me last week and said, uh, you would normally get £60 fine and three penalty points on your license. But they said, we are prepared to offer you something different. So I read on and it said, you can pay a fine, which is a little more, £67. Why it's different? I don't know. But they said... If you are willing to attend a three-hour speed awareness course, we will not put the points on your license. So I spoke to my associate, Pastor Rodney, and he said, do it, do it, do it. (laughs) So, see, I'm guilty, but it's not going to count on my license. I will not have three points. Because Rodney told me, if you get three more than six, it affects your insurance. Well... You might think this is very fortunate, but the psalm says the person whose sin the Lord does not count against him is truly blessed. So the Lord forgives your transgressions, covers your sins, doesn't count your sin against him. C.H. Spurgeon, a great Baptist preacher from the past, writing on this verse, says, he says, he describes it as the barking three-headed dog at the gates of hell being silenced. These three things against you. So the final result is, blessed is the person in whose spirit there is no guile. No guile means transparency, integrity. You've got nothing to hide in the sight of God or others. Now, coming towards the end, but you may be in danger of thinking at this point, well, this is God, he can just do that. It's a matter of little consequence when God says, I forgive you. But it is a matter of the utmost seriousness. In fact, if you want a summary of this long book, the Bible... It starts with when our first parents messed up, which is in the first book, in the first it's chapter 3 of the first book called Genesis. The rest of this book is about how God resolves the problem of forgiving us for what we have done and restoring our relationship with him while still being consistent to himself and his justice. We've all seen cases in the media of someone who does a terrible thing and the sentence is too light. And people complain. They say it's bringing the law and justice into question. And with God, the issues are far more serious. So much so, that under the old agreement that he made with the people of Israel, which is called the Old Covenant, or the Old Testament, which is the first big half of the Bible, the first two thirds, it's all about how God made provision for people's wrongdoing to be forgiven. 
And it was so serious that God symbolized it by saying the only way it can be forgiven is with the blood sacrifice of an animal. You have to think that's pretty brutal sort of stuff. But it's a very serious problem. But you see, it didn't root out the radical nature of the problem. And so this, the, the second half of the Bible, the last third, is called the New Testament. It's called the new agreement God made with people. And God did the most remarkable thing. Sort the problem out. A Hebrew prophet called Isaiah actually prophesied and looked forward to this day when someone would come, a person would pay the price. This is what he wrote in in his prophecy about this person. And notice the words that we've been talking about. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And 700 years after Isaiah promised this, God did something about it in the most remarkable way. He came to earth in the person of his son Jesus and became one of us. Fully human. Yet for the first and only time, he never did what was prohibited He never fell short of what was demanded. He never deviated from the right path. And he lived completely without guile. And so he was able and willing to offer himself. We've been singing about all these songs about lamb, sacrifice and everything. It might seem strange if you've never heard it. But it's all symbolic. He offered himself as the sacrifice of our sin. He carried our transgressions. He covered our sin. He paid the debt that we could not pay because we're in so much in the red to God so that through him God looks at us and he doesn't count our sins against us. Writing to Christians in the Greek city of Ephesus who'd put their faith in Jesus, a man called Paul, who was a messenger who brought the message to them, reminds them of this forgiveness through Jesus. He writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Amazing grace. Amazing love that God should stoop down to do this, to make it possible. And that's why you can sing with so much enthusiasm about this if you know what it's about, because you know the joy of forgiveness. You see, I'm saying something in conclusion, this really is the conclusion. When Nietzsche and I thought we'd scorch the cannon's carpet, we felt very miserable because of what we thought we had done. It was actually false guilt, because we weren't guilty at all. But David knew what it was like to feel real guilt. It's very interesting the way he describes it. If you've ever been in this situation, he talks about groaning under guilt. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And finding forgiveness was only possible when he confessed, yeah, I did it. Then I acknowledged, notice the words again, my sin to you, I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So it is for us. We all need to know what it's like to be forgiven. And I guess there are two kinds of people here. There's probably those of you sitting there thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I've done and it's impossible for anyone to forgive that. There are other people sitting here thinking, well, I'm not as bad as most people and if God marks on a curve, I'm probably going to make it. No, we've all fallen short. We all need God's forgiveness. And maybe for the first time, you need to come to God and say, I'm sorry. 
I messed up. Thank you for sending Jesus to forgive me. And put your trust in him. Some of us need to do that again. Because we've lost a sense of joy and elation. And we're under the burden of what it means to groan under a sense of guilt. We were so happy when we were cleared of the carpet crying. <laughs> Even though we've been living under false guilt. How much more the joy of forgiveness. The removal of our true guilt. What can you do? You just respond like the psalmist does. He says, he ends up, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Let's do that as we finish with a final song. If the singers are up for it, or everyone.